You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Schenk of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now for pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able. He calls you now. They chose to compromise, and they chose to expect Paul to compromise. James and the elders failed to stand up for the truth. Oh, you can never fail to stand up for the truth, even if it hurts. We must always stand for truth and righteousness. That is what God has chosen us to do. That is what the church is supposed to do. That is what the church used to do. It's easy to compromise when we are feeling pressured by society, and sometimes even people we respect and hold in high esteem. God has called us to be different than those around us, and to stand up for what is right and good and just. Pastor Dave encourages us to continue to hold fast to our values today, no matter what. Now here's Pastor Dave for today's message. As we continue in our study in the book of Acts. So if you will turn there, please, with me, turn there to Acts 21. We're looking at verses 23 through 26 today. 23 to 26. If you will read along silently, I would like to read aloud, please. Beginning in Acts 21, verse 23. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality." Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Today's title is All Things to All People. All Things to All People. Now, just what does that mean, all things to all people? What did the Apostle Paul have in mind when he said this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 22? That's where you can find it, and we'll be there in a minute. But you know, the modern dictionaries, they have, a, they have a, an answer for everything. And using this very verse, the modern dictionaries say that the meaning of all things to all people is satisfying everyone's needs. That's what they say now as you look in online to these modern dictionaries. But I'm, I'm not so sure that this is what the apostle intended. Sadly, though, it has been interpreted to mean that in order to win the world to Christ, we, the church, must become more like the world in order to attract more people. That's what they're saying. Subsequently, there are Christian clubs of all sorts. There are Christian things of all sorts, anywhere from Christian amusement parks to Christian nudist colonies. All things to all people. One commentator I read said this, 
Where did Christians ever get the idea we could win the world by imitating it? Is there a shred of biblical justification for that kind of thinking? Many church marketing specialists affirm that there is, and they have convinced a myriad of pastors. Ironically, they usually cite the Apostle Paul as someone who advocated adapting the gospel to the taste of the audience. One such marketing specialist wrote, Paul provided what I feel is perhaps the single most insightful perspective on marketing communications. Paul was willing to share his communications according to their needs in order to receive the response he sought. Now, as with most scriptures, if you take this scripture and you isolate it from all the other scriptures, you can assume that Paul was willing to do anything at all to reach the lost, including adopting their lifestyle, compromising his ethics, compromising his morals, and compromising his beliefs, if you believe what they're selling here. This doctrine is really popular today among the seeker-friendly organizations. It's very, very popular. It is known as accommodation. And if we use this logic, if we use the logic that's being said here, think about this, then I can't really witness to a drug addict until I become one. If you use this logic, then I really can't witness to a drunk until I drink alcohol and become one. Well, that's not what Paul intended at all. That is so far from what Paul had intended. So far, far away. Please. In fact, one commentator said this, let those who plead for the system of accommodation on the example of Paul attend to the end Paul had in view and the manner in which he pursued that end. It was not to get money. It was not to get influence. It was not to get honor, but to save souls. It was not to get ease, but increase labor. It was not to save his own life, but rather to have his life be a sacrifice for others. Wearsby said this, it's unfortunate that this phrase, all things to all men, has been used and abused by the world and made to mean what Paul did not intend for it to mean. Very sad situation that we're living in. But what I see in the scriptures that we just read, what I see is a clear example of what Paul meant by all things to all people. It's a clear example of what he was talking about to the church in Corinthian. And let's read right now 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without not being without the law towards God, but under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Unquote. Look at this paradox that Paul has set up here. I am free from all men. But yep, I'm a servant to all men. You know, Paul set aside his own rights. Paul set aside his own liberties. And he was able to serve others because he was free. He had a liberty in Jesus Christ. Paul's liberty in evangelism, however, was not a freedom to serve the flesh in any way. 
He did not take his freedom to license. It was not a freedom to serve the flesh. No. Paul was always strict in regard to sin, and he did not allow anything in his life that would bring the result of sin by his spiritual carelessness. He would not become a glutton to save the overeater and reach them. He would not become a drug addict to reach the addict. And he would not be a drinker of alcohol to reach the drunk. This is not what Paul is saying here. But what I see today is that Paul was free to do what he wanted to do, but bringing people to Jesus was more important to him than using his freedom selfishly. There's a big difference there if you look at that. So in our scriptures today, we see Paul using his freedom in Christ so that others would be saved, namely his own beloved countrymen, the Jews, the children of Israel. Last week, Paul finally made it to Jerusalem. We've been studying that. But when he got to Jerusalem, he found the church in a very, very weakened state. And this was our study last week. And we said that the church was weakened by four things. It was weakened by legalism because the Judaizers within the church, you know, they were the ones that taught all Jews and Gentiles alike must follow the laws of Moses and to be circumcised. Well, they were growing in numbers. There was many, 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 many more of them. We read in Acts 21, verse 20, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews that there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Remember, by this time in Jerusalem, there were thousands of Christians, and there was a strange mixture of Jews and Gentile, Christianity and Judaism, but they were zealous for the law, meaning they were continuing the rights of Judaism. They were continuing in the law of Moses, but they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They had accommodated themselves to the Jewish community. Secondly, we said that the church was weakened by gossip and rumors. We read in 21. But they had been informed about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. Some in the church believed that Paul was off base on his teaching in grace. They believed that he was off base, that it wasn't by grace alone that you were saved. It was by grace plus the law that you were saved. That's what they were saying. And they slandered Paul, and they spread misinformation about him, these rumors and these lies. Thirdly, we said that the church was weakened because they compromised. The church compromised. They had the fear of man. They feared that there would be an uproar. They, they feared that a riot would ensue. They compromised. Look what it says. What then? In verse 22. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. It's almost like they're saying, oh no, let's not offend anybody. Let's not let, get anybody mad when we preach the gospel. Well, You've probably heard me say this one too many times, but Pastor Greg, who we just looked at, has a great quote. He always says that if you're not offending someone, you're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love that quote. I love that. If you're not offending someone, you're not preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But these people were bowing to the pressure placed upon them by these legalists, these Judaizers. They were conforming to the most popular view. I mean, after all, majority rules, right? And if the majority thinks that way, it's got to be right, correct? Isn't that the way the world views today? I mean, what's wrong with homosexual marriage? Everybody believes in it. Everybody's voting for it, so it's got to be right. See, that's how the majority thinks, and they force it down our throats. That's what was happening here in Jerusalem. 
And fourthly, the church in Jerusalem was weakened because it still carried great prejudices towards the Gentiles. It still carried great prejudices toward them. And even though the church leaders had sent a letter, and it's very ironic that they sent the letter in the very hand of Paul to deliver it, that they sent this letter, there was still prejudice and suspicion that existed. So as we open up our text for today's message, we see that James and the elders of the church concocted this helping situation for Paul so that he might be able to come back to the Jews. He might be able to be accepted by the masses. We see this compromise in their offer. I mean, think about it. James now, the brother of Jesus, by the way, is the head of the church and the elders. They could have stood up for Paul. They could have had Paul in front of them and said, hey guys, we validate his ministry. He's one of us and what he's preaching is what Jesus taught. This is what he's preaching. They could have stood up for him, but they didn't. They chose to compromise. And they chose to expect Paul to compromise. James and the elders failed to stand up for the truth. Oh, we can never fail to stand up for the truth, even if it hurts. We must always stand for truth and righteousness. That is what God has chosen us to do. That is what the church is supposed to do. That is what the church used to do. But now, it's, can't we all just get along? Let's have a bonfire, hold hands, and sing kumbaya. Can't we all just love each other? Why didn't they stand up for righteousness? They erred. They compromised. They erred. The elders had a very, very simple plan. Paul would sponsor four men who took a Nazarite vow. And he would pay their expenses. It was very expensive to have these offerings and to do the purification process. This would show all the people that Paul walked orderly and kept the law. Let's begin as we look in verse 23 and 24. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and they may know that those things which were informed of concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. So in other words, they're saying to Paul, Paul, we're not going to support you. We're not going to speak favorably for you. We're not going to endorse you, Paul. But you need to show everybody that you're a good little Jewish boy. You need to show everybody that you are following the law and that you're true to Judaism and that you're true to your heritage, Paul. This is what we want you to do. Paul, you have to prove to us that what they said about you is not true. They said, as for the Gentiles, we've already dealt with them in the letter. Look at verse 25. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we've written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Again, I have to say, I find this fascinating. I find this fascinating that James and the elders are telling Paul about this letter. Paul was at the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15. He was there. He witnessed there. He spoke there. In fact, in chapter 15, verse 22, and in chapter 15, verse 30, they actually asked Paul and Barnabas and a whole bunch of other guys to take the letter to the churches. And here they are telling Paul about this letter. There's a little confusion going on here. There's a little bit of confusion going on. They're really in a bad way. 
But the main part of our message is on what Paul does next. What Paul does next is nothing less than a controversy in all of the scholars that I've read. It's a major controversy. And they've lined up. They've taken the side of, yes, he sinned. They've taken the side of, no, he didn't sin. There's this huge controversy of all these Bible scholars. Look at verse 26. Then Paul took the men. And the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Paul submits to the request of the elders of the church, and he sponsors the men. Wow. Wow. I guess we have to start asking some questions here. Did Paul compromise his beliefs? Did Paul sin? Was he trampling on the grace of God? The grace that he had taught to all the Gentiles. Remember our discussion about compromise. It means an amicable agreement between parties in controversy to settle their differences by concessions. When you compromise, you concede something. And when the church compromises, they concede their faith. They concede their beliefs. When the church compromises on these social issues that are rampant out there, they concede the faith, and what they're saying is God's Word is not true. That's what compromise is saying. God's Word is not true. Or we want to look good for somebody. It reminds me, I'm, you know, I don't like to bring up politics, but that one, that one uh, senator, or was it a congressman? I don't remember which, who was a staunch, staunch supporter of marriage, traditional marriage. Changed his vote all of a sudden. Why? Because he had a son who declared he was a homosexual. Compromised his situation for years and years and years and years. All of a sudden you changed your mind? So what's happening here. Did Paul give up his freedom in Jesus Christ when he did this? What would you do? What would you do in the same situation? This was a couple thousand years ago, guys. We're in these kind of situations right now. Every single day, whether it be at work or at play, whether it be in church or whether it be in wherever, we're in this kind of situation right now. What would you do? How would you act to this or how would you react to this? As I stated, many, many, many people think Paul was not sinning. Many people think Paul was not compromising his beliefs when he, when he submitted to the Ephesian elders. A person whom I really respect and I've been studying more and more is a gentleman, I quoted him last week, by the name of F.F. F. Bruce. He's a very, very, really great commentator and he's done many studies. He says this, very interesting comment, quote, Whether Paul was wise in doing this may be so well doubted, but he cannot be fairly charged with compromise on his own gospel principles. On the contrary, he was acting in strict accordance with his own stated policy as represented in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. Paul was acting on those beliefs. Many believe that this passage was indeed what Paul used as his motive and his actions with the church in Jerusalem. But, on the same hand, there are others who use Paul's letters to the Galatian church and Paul's letters to the Roman saying that he is making a mockery of grace. He's not acting or doing what he preaches. He's a hypocrite. His walk is not matching his talk. And that's what they're saying. Which view is correct? Was Paul an error? 
Was he dangerously close to being an error? We don't really know. And I don't know if we'll ever know this side of heaven. Maybe you want to ask Paul when he got there, hey, Paul, did you really mess up when you did that? I don't know. But I think we need to make it personal. I need to think what we would do. I think we need to have some application here, what we do. But before we can answer these questions, I want to help Paul out a little bit, you know. We've been following Paul, you know. He's revered to us, and he's, he's written two-thirds of the New Testament, you know. We've got to look at him for what it is. I think we need to look at Paul's mindset. I think we need to look at Paul's mindset when it came to his countrymen, the Jews. Let's look at Paul's mindset, how he thought about his Jews. Now remember, Paul had been given the charge to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but he was also given the charge to take the gospel to the Jews and to kings. We read that a couple weeks ago. He was given that charge to do that. He had huge success with the Gentiles. Huge success with the Gentiles. Many, many were coming to salvation through Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone. He had all kinds of success. We've read about it in the last 15 chapters of the book of Acts. We've had such a great time reading. He didn't have a lot of luck with the Jews. He didn't have a lot of luck with the Jews. In fact, everywhere he went, they liked him so much, they wanted to kill him. He didn't have a real good running record with the Jews. You know, It wasn't really one of his best times. But he was a Jew, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the law blameless. You already know his entire resume in Philippians 3. Paul loved his countrymen, and Paul would want his countrymen to come in. Look what he says in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5. You've got to read that to understand Paul's mindset on how he acts towards his Jews, his friends, his neighbors. Romans 9, verse 1 through 5, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience always bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who was over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Wow. You get some heartfelt feeling there of how he felt about his Jews. He says, I wish I would be accursed. I could be accursed for my brethren. Wow, this is such an extreme, bold statement. I don't know if I could honestly do this. I don't know if I could honestly say that, but yet Paul affirmed it was true. He said, this is true. In Paul's case, his conscience bears witness by the Holy Spirit that he received this. You can hear the heaviness in Paul's heart. What a heart Paul had. This great burden for his brothers, the Jewish people. If it were possible, he says, I want to be accursed. If it was possible, I'd give up my salvation that they might have everlasting life. I want that heart. I want that heart for my kids. I want that heart for my kids. I want that heart for your families. I want that heart for your kids. I want that heart that Paul had. There's much more Pastor Dave would like to share with you, but we've run out of time for today. This has been another edition of Cape Watch Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Pastor Dave will continue teaching verse by verse through the book of Acts next time. You can order today's message for free by emailing us at info at capewatchradio.com. Sometimes it's just easier to call. 
Our phone number is 609-884-5821. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 609-884-5821. You can learn more about Cape Watch Radio, Calvary Chapel Cape May, and Pastor Dave at our website, www.capewatchradio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at capewatchradio.com. That's www.capewatchradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. You can also subscribe to the Cape Watch Radio podcast. Subscribing is easy. Log on to capewatchradio.com. Click on the subscribe button or simply search for Cape Watch Radio in the iTunes store. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Cape Watch Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in. And please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Cape Watch Radio.